Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Esport International, if you're into that as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into outside of the tennis world. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Netflix releasing certain specials from the Netflix is a joke festival that I thought were not that great, to be honest with you. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss the overall direction that Netflix is heading into now that there is an emergence of YouTube comedy specials being out and put it out into the open, how the overall marketplace will sort of correct itself with stand-up in and of itself. So we can discuss all of that in terms of news outside of the uh, outside of the tennis world. But this podcast will be mostly fixated on tennis aspects and tennis topics and and the tennis topics will be as follows we can discuss the off-court coaching that the atp has decided to enact and to enable for this 2022 atp calendar year and for the remainder of the 2022 atp calendar year i'll get into my thoughts on that we can also discuss novak djokovic not being eligible to play the u.s open and the amount of petitions that have been created because of that i know i discussed it last podcast about it briefly touched up on it saying i won't discuss it but i felt like it was pretty appropriate to at least discuss it and uh for this podcast episode but we'll start off for today will be my predictions for this year's Wimbledon. So obviously there has been a sort of you know news in terms of Wimbledon. There are draws now. We now know who is the overall ranking for who are who is the overall seating for each and every ranking there is for Wimbledon. So overall let me just get right into it. So who do I think will win this year's Wimbledon? I think that's the biggest question that, you know, is the Biggest question that is to be asked for tennis journalists, for tennis fans, for tennis people that, you know, sort of cover and discuss and touch up on tennis for their career and for who they are and, you know, what they do. And I feel like this Wimbledon will be very, very intense. So it'll be very, very different from last year's Wimbledon because obviously there was the absence of Rafa Nadal. Novak Djokovic was the clear cut favorite to win. He was on his quest to win the Golden Slam before it sort of all sort of fell down with his losses to, to at the Olympics and at the US Open. But this year, I think it will be much more competitive. And in terms of who I think will win this year with the Wimbledon, I think it's a toss-up between Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. I know this is not the most, you know, sort of out-of-the-wild pick. I know this is not a pick that is is filled with underdogs i know it's the it's number one and number two respectively you know joker and djokovic is number one ranked for wilden rafnadal is number two ranked for the seedings for the draws so obviously this is not like the most underdog pick this is not like the most surefire this is not you know betting against the odds it's basically betting with the odds i mean nadal and djokovic in my opinion are two individuals that i think will win this year's Wimbledon. And if you put a gun to my head, I honestly would say Novak Djokovic over Rafa Nadal. I still think it's going to be one of those two winning, but if you put a gun to my head and if you said, okay, now choose, I think Novak Djokovic has a better chance of winning over Rafa Nadal. And I say this because obviously Novak Djokovic's year has been kind of lackluster. I mean, you saw his losses to Davidovich Fakina, to Jiri Vesely. He did lose at the at the French Open quarterfinal to Rafa Nadal, but again, Rafa Nadal is just a different player. He's just a different specimen on clay. So that I can sort of understand. I understand where, why Novak Djokovic will lose in that match. But this year has been quite lackluster. I'm not going to lie. It's been quite lackluster. He did lose against Andre Rublev uh, at the final of an AT500 tournament, AT1000 tournament. I think 500. I think that was the Serbian Open where he lost to um, Andre Rublev. So obviously not an ideal finish for most of these tournaments. But again, I think Novak Djokovic, when he's on, he's on. And I think Novak Djokovic on grass is a different player than most other tennis players. Again, he's won... Wimbledon six times. So again, it shows you the amount of acumen that he knows, the the knowledge that he has, the insight that he has for these matches. And I, th- I don't think it will change for this tournament. I still think Novak Djokovic, despite his flaws, despite his infer- imperfections for this calendar year, I still think he has the ability to win. And I think that in and of itself is a very sort of interesting thing to see and to point out. But also, I think 
you would be sort of you you would not be mentally there if you thought otherwise. I think Novak Djokovic right now is at a point where he knows that he's not eligible to play the U.S. Open because of the vaccine situation, where he knows that you know things aren't really going to his plan. You know, for this year, obviously, this year has been sort of a drop off from last year, and it, I don't think it's his fault. By the way, I don't think it's because of him. But I think right now what Novak Djokovic is really focused on is being able to win and to be able to succeed even when the chips are against him. And I feel like even though he is number one and even though, you know, betting on him is not the most sort of, you know, betting against the odds situation, I still think that a lot of people are discounting him. I feel like a lot of people are sort of being skeptical about his status and whether or not he's able to play and whether or not he'll be able to show up for Wimbledon. I think those naysayers, those detractors, I think they are not there. I really don't think so. So I think Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, I think those are 1A, 1B in terms of who I think will win. I mean, I think Rafa Nadal has the ability to win. I do think so. I think there's nothing more, more than I would love to see than you know Rafa Nadal winning Grand Slam. Really, there really isn't. But again, I think you know with Novak Djokovic in the equation, when you have Carlos Alcaraz as well, maybe I think I think Carlos Alcaraz and Nadal in the same bracket in the same seating, I, not the same seating, but in the same bracket in the same draw. So if that happens, then obviously it will definitely spice things up a bit. But overall, those are who I think uh, will win Wimbledon. I think it's going to be Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal. But I think if if it all comes down to it, I, I do think no, Novak Djokovic will win this year's Wimbledon, and I think it will be done in a way where it will be much more competitive than we saw of last year, where we had Matteo Bertini and Felix Ogier-Aliassim. I think those two individuals will step up more so than, say, last year, and I think those two individuals will make it run for its money uh, for Wimbledon in terms of being able to compete against Rafa Nadal and that is, say, of Novak Djokovic. So overall, that's who I think. Those are the two individuals that I think will win Wimbledon. Uh, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic. Obviously, this is, this is not the most sort of betting against the odds situation. This is not picking the underdog. Like Again, I know these are two titans in the game. These are two individuals that are larger than life for the games of tennis, for the sport of tennis. Obviously, it's not the most sort of pick. It's not the pick that you can like go home and be like, yeah, I picked the under. It's like, no, you. It's you're picking... You're picking two individuals that have won and that are well-established in tennis. You know, you're picking again. I'm picking two individuals that have won over 42 Grand Slams in their illustrious career. So, again, I'm not, this is not a, a pick that, you know, is going to warrant people to be like, oh, man, this is, what a great pick that was or what a underdog pick that was. Again, it's not Bertini. It's not FAA. It's not... I don't know if John Isner is scheduled to play. I don't think so. It's not Nick Kyrgios. Definitely not Nick Kyrgios. So it's two individuals that I know will bring it. Uh, I just don't think... I mean, I don't think FAA and Berrettini are there yet. I, I don't think so. As long as Djokovic and Nadal are still there, I don't think they will be able to reach the final. I, I think they'll reach the final. Obviously, Berrettini reached the final last year, but I don't think they'll be able to successfully win on final Sunday. As long as Nadal and Djokovic are there because of their experience, because of how they're able to sort of maneuver on final Sunday, more importantly, how they are able to sort of process and internalize their own struggles and sort of counteract that and win because of that. And I think that's something that we haven't really seen of FAA yet. We haven't really seen that of Bertini yet. I think right now, if you're not betting for Nadal and Djokovic, I think you're basically, I'm not going to say you're wasting your money, but it's close to it. You know, so... And again, I, I, this is not me hating on the other players. I think they're great. I think this field, this crop of AT players playing for Wimbledon, I think it's great. Obviously, it could be better. You know, the Russian and Belarusian ban is horrible, and I've made my piece about that. I've made countless videos documenting my opinion on that. But I do think that this year's Wimbledon, I think, will be very competitive. I really do. I think you have the emergence of Carlos Alcaraz. You have FAA, Berrettini. You have Nick Kyrgios. I mean, we saw Nick Kyrgios reach the semifinal of of that previous Hall Open. You know, so obviously, uh, you know, you have all of that. You also have Hubert Hurkacz. I mean, Hubert Hurkacz reached the semifinal last year against Berrettini. He won against Roger Federer at the quarterfinal. I mean, you add all of that in, and you you have a lot of players that are able to sort of bring it and do so in a way that 
we haven't seen him before in quite some time. You know, you also have Dennis Shapovalov as well. I mean, Dennis Shapovalov, I think he reached the quarterfinal, I, th- I would say, or semifinal. Uh, I-, I think quarterfinal of Wimbledon last year. So, again, you have all these players, you know. I mean, tennis, I know, you know, we like to, you know, talk about, oh, tennis could be better and whatnot. But, I mean, if you look at the field right now, there's a lot of, ten- there's a lot of good tennis players in the circuit and that are competing for Wimbledon. Uh, so I'm excited to see what's going to happen for these two individuals. I, for one, am excited to see what is to come uh, for Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal. And, you know, these uh, first-round through fourth-round matches that will occur at Wimbledon, I think you have to sort of keep that in mind. I really do because, again, this is the building blocks for the quarters, the semis, and the final for Wimbledon. So, you know, do keep that in mind. You know, understand that even if somebody loses a, a set in one of these first round matches or second round matches, understand that that could have major implications later on for this major. So I think that's very, very important to at least note, to sort of at least detail and, and understand because, again, you know, these small losses, they really do add up at the end. So I'm, I'm excited to see what is to come for these two individuals Obviously, this is not the most glamorous pick. This is not the most sexy pick. I'm well aware of that. I'm cognizant of that. But still, these are two individuals that I think will have the best chance of winning this year's Wimbledon, and that is Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal. So that is that is where I will sort of end it off with that discussion. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here. Um, obviously, I've made videos documenting Novak Djokovic and his vaccine status for the Australian Open back in January, which sounds like such a long time ago. I remember, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, you know, because obviously there's a time of difference between Australia and America. But there are times where I would wake up in the middle of the night, like at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and I would get the notification saying, Novak Djokovic not scheduled to play or scheduled to play for for the Australian Open. So I'd make a video documenting my overall thoughts on his visa being cleared. And then a week later, hearing another notification saying, no, Novak Djokovic is not scheduled to play. And then I would have to wake up again, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the middle of the night just to cover that. And uh, that's something that I don't want to go back to. Uh, I don't, but obviously with the news circulating about the U.S. Open not being able to allow Novak Djokovic to play, I think it's quite apt to at least discuss it yet again. So the U.S. Open has decided that Novak Djokovic isn't eligible to play. This is because of his vaccine requirement situation, because of the fact that he hasn't taken the vaccine yet. He's been quite adamant about his thoughts on the vaccine and how he's not willing to take it. And because of that, Novak Djokovic is not scheduled to play the U.S. Open. And now there are petitions everywhere. There are petitions everywhere to get the USTA to reconsider, to get to allow Novak Djokovic to play uh, the sport tennis at Queens, New York, where the U.S. Open plays and is scheduled to be at, as it is every year. So overall, you know, there's been a lot of backlash to the U.S. Open decision. And my overall thoughts on all of this, I'm not clipping this, by the way. This is staying within the podcast uh, because for obvious reasons. Uh, but I, I think Novak Djokovic should play. Case in point, I think Novak Djokovic should play. I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest here. Uh, we've had the vaccine for over a year. Uh, people that want to get vaccinated have already been vaccinated. People that didn't get vaccinated are not going to get vaccinated. Uh, we've had the vaccines for over a year now. The COVID cases are still going up. I think it's time to admit that the that the vaccines weren't as effective as we thought they were. I'm not going to say that they were ineffective. You know, I'm not going to say that. I would never put my YouTube channel at risk by saying that. But when you see COVID cases going up, when you see that mostly vaccinated people are still getting COVID, while we have three vaccine shots and now our fourth booster coming out, I mean, I think my parents already took their fourth booster. Um, I haven't taken my fourth booster yet. I don't really see the need to take a fourth booster. Just my opinion. Um, just my just my thoughts on it. I don't know what the CDC is recommending anymore. I don't really care at this moment in time. I, I don't. Uh, so I don't know what the CDC is recommending. It might be different. But at, at this point, moment in time, I think enough time has passed where we can sort of sit back and say to ourselves, okay, the vaccines weren't as effective as we thought they were. 
That doesn't mean that they're entirely ineffective. Again, I don't want to put my channel at risk, but again, I don't think they were as effective as we thought they were. So why are we making individuals that haven't taken the vaccine take the vaccine and not feel any difference in their bodies? Right. Like if you're just doing it for the sake of getting people vaccinated, then what's the point of all that? I mean, isn't the whole point of, you know, getting people vaccinated to make sure that COVID's over or whatnot, to make sure that COVID is done and, and to lessen the severity of it? Again, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not that individual. But again, with Novak Djokovic, even if he isn't vaccinated, to me, like all that really shows is that, OK, you know, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. That's fine. As long as he eats healthy, is doing the right regimen, then I, I don't view him as being complicit in starting COVID again. Like, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Like, again, this person has a, has a well-intense diet. You know, he puts his body through the motions each and every time he steps on the court. So for me to be like, no, he's also just as complicit as carrying COVID and spreading COVID just as much as any other person. I mean, obviously, like, I get that. But also, you know, having a good diet and, you know, being able to exercise and eat healthy and, and sleep well, you know, that does lessen the severity of COVID. You know, that does get that does allow people to not carry COVID as much as, say, a person that doesn't do all those things. So when I see this and when I see Novak Djokovic not being able to play for the U.S. Open, my overall thoughts on all of that is it's it's quite bull. It really is because, again, like there's so many individuals that, you know, that are in high power, that are in high places of power that, you know, aren't vaccinated but still are able to enjoy the luxuries and amenities that everybody else does. So why is Novak Djokovic different from that? You know, like that's that's sort of what my thought process is heading into it is that at the end of the day, Novak Djokovic is good for tennis. He is great for tennis. Novak Djokovic brings eyeballs to the sport of tennis. Yes, he does get booed each and every time he steps on the U.S. Open court. But at the end of the day, like the, the average person gets why he is who he is. The average person knows that he's successful. And last year, you got to give the U.S. Open audience some credit, some some credit. I mean, they were cheering on Novak Djokovic. And again, now, again, he was facing against Daniil Medvedev. But still, they were cheering, against, they were cheering for Novak Djokovic on final Sunday. So again, they wanted him to win the Grand Slam. They wanted him to win all four majors, and I think this year they wanted they want Novak Djokovic to win as well. Now, obviously, it depends as to who he's facing. If he's facing an American, then probably not. If he's facing against Rafael Nadal, then probably not. But still, more often than not, they they will cheer Novak Djokovic on, just as they did last year. And I think right now, I mean, people are so not involved in COVID anymore. I feel like people are so done with COVID and with the vaccines and with the discussion surrounding the vaccines where it's like people just want to move on with their lives. You know, people are in summer vacation mode, you know, even if it means spending seven, eight dollars on gas to get to their vacation spot, they don't really care. They just want to be in vacation mode. But still, I feel like, again, this sets up an ugly precedent where now anybody who doesn't follow the status quo now gets penalized, you know, and this is not just for the vaccine discussion. This also is in part with the Russia-Ukraine situation where you now have Russian and Belarusian players being banned just because they won't switch their allegiance to a different country. So again, any any person that deviates from the status quo can get penalized. And that, that just sets up an ugly precedent where now people with differing opinions, with differing thought processes, with differing views now get penalized for said views. And again, this is not that far off. I mean, you know, not taking the vaccine is, I mean, whether you like it or not, I mean, there's a big heavy contingent that does not really want to take the vaccine. And you sort of have to respect their thought process on it. You sort of have to respect their opinion on it. You may not agree with it. Obviously, that's that's one thing. But again, to sort of ostracize them and, and to belittle them because of the fact that they're not taking the vaccine, I don't think that does them any favor. And I feel, feel like if you want people to be educated on the vaccine, which again, I don't know how you're going to do that. We've been through four vaccines. I mean, people have taken their four boosters and people are still getting COVID. But if you want people to be educated on the vaccine, then educate them on it. You know, if, if you want people to take the vaccine, then educate them on it instead of just ostracizing them and belittling them for them, you know, and, and, and restricting them from, from their profession. You know, again, this is a restriction on somebody's profession. And I don't think this is a good, surefire way to get people invested and involved and to really take what you're subscribing to them. 
or prescribing to them. So again, I for one stand up for Novak Djokovic. I've been very vocal and very consistent with my beliefs on that. I think vaccine mandates, vaccine passports are dumb. There's they're idiotic, and the fact that we're still playing this game five six months afterwards, I think that sets up an ugly precedent. We're now. This will be the norm, and it already is the norm. I'm not going to lie. This already is the norm, but I, for one, do not want to be a part of that world. I don't want to be a part of that that idea. I, I don't think that's helpful. I, I don't think that is helpful. And when you're seeing a top-tier tennis player have to go through this, and just imagine what that sets up for the average individual that doesn't have the luxury to play tennis at a professional level and who isn't as successful as Novak Djokovic in their professional level. So again, overall, that's that's what is. Well, that, those are my thoughts on the Novak Djokovic situation. And now, obviously, is it ideal that he's still not vaccinated? Yeah, it's not ideal. I'm not going to lie; it's not ideal. But again, you have to respect his decision. I mean, that's what it boils down to: is that you have to respect his decision to not take it, and the fact that he's been vocal about his opinion on it, and how he's been vocal about how he's finding alternative methods to make sure that he's healthy. I mean. How can you really begrudge them for for that? You know, how can you really begrudge them for that? So, again, and this is coming from a person that is vaccinated. I'm triple vaxxed. Uh, I have, I feel no difference in my body after taking the vaccines. Like, you know, so I'm not going to be out here and say, yeah, like it's causing people to go gay. Like, I'm not that kind of guy that's like, yeah, the vaccines are, you know, you know, they're turning people gay. It's like, that's not, that's what, not my, what, what I'm trying to go for. That's not what I'm trying to get at. Obviously, like, you know, take the vaccine if you like. Feel like taking the vaccine. I, for one, don't care. Like, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes for me to just be normal. That's all that really matters. Um, honestly, that's all that I really care about is just like going back to any sort sort of normalcy. Like, if if I have to like literally like murder a cat just to be able to eat at Taco Bell, then I'll certainly murder a cat. Like, that's what it comes down to. And I know going to Taco Bell is very low tier, but still. I mean, at this point, like, I would do anything just to get free, our freedom back. You know, that's that's my overall rationale uh, for that. Like, I, I really have no sort of principles to stand on in terms of that. You know, that's basically what I'll do if it, if it comes down to it. Um, but again, you have to sort of admire Novak Djokovic for his rather consistent beliefs on his overall regimen, you know, he has his own regimen, his regimen is his, his regimen and anything that is, gets in the way of it is no good for him. So you got to understand that, you know, be cognizant of it, but more importantly, respect it because at the end of the day, you know, Novak Djokovic won't take the vaccine. Like he won't straight up won't. So to, to not allow him to play, to under to willingly and knowingly know that you're basically burning money in a fire because of your opinion of him not playing and because of your decision for him to not play i think that is the wrong approach to go at it really is and i feel like if the us open wants to have good pr if they want to not go through the same situation as the australian open did six seven months ago if they want to go through this if they don't want to go to the same situation as wimbledon has been doing for the Russian and Belgian ban, I think what they should allow Novak Djokovic to do is allow Novak Djokovic to play. Because not only does that set a precedent that players are welcome in America, but that also sets a precedent where America values freedom. Again, this is the U.S. Open. This is the United States Open. To allow a person that has a different difference of opinion to play at, at a tournament is the idea of what freedom is all about, you know, and and that is what the U.S. Open should really strive for. You know, the U.S. Open should value freedom, something that is a part and that is ingrained in what our country was built on. You know, the idea of to have freedom of choice, to have freedom of responsibility, to have freedom of who you are. You know, that is what America was built on and that is what the U.S. Open should advocate for. And to see them not do that, I think it's quite dumb to see. So overall, that is my opinion on the the U.S. Open Novak Djokovic situation. I think it's dumb for him not to play because of the vaccine situation. I really do. I really do. All right, let's get into uh, our next bit of discussion here, shall we? So the ATP 
has decided to allow on-court coaching for the remainder of the 2022 ATP calendar year. So I'm just getting this from their website. So let me just pull it up and we'll just discuss it as we go and see fit. So this is from the headline. Uh, so off-court coaching trial announced second half of the 2022 season. So yes, the the ATP has announced the off-court coaching will be tr- uh, trialed in the second half of the season. The trial will permit coaching from designated coach seats during qualifying and main draw matches at ATP Tour events starting from the week of July 11, 2022. So this does not include Wimbledon. This will happen right after Wimbledon. So I think uh, that's when it will start. Obviously, Wimbledon starts this coming Sunday, this coming Sunday, this coming Monday, this coming week. So that's when it starts. So July 11th, uh, the trial will also take place at the U.S. Open and will run through to the season-ending NITO ATP Finals in Turin in November. Various coaching rules have been trialed across the sport in recent years, including on-court coaching and coaching via headsets. Today's announcement brings alignment for the second half of the season across the ATP Tour. The U.S. Open and Hologic WTA Tour, where an off-court coaching trial is already in place. In addition to ensuring consistency across the sport for the benefit of players and fans, the trial aims to create additional points of intrigue and insight to enhance the fan experience. Off-court coaching will be permitted under the following conditions. Coaches must sit at the tournament's designated coach seats. Coaching verbal and nonverbal is allowed only and if only does if it only does not interrupt play or create any hindrance to the opponent. Verbal coaching is permitted only when the player is at the same end of the court. Nonverbal coaching hand signals is permitted at any time. Verbal coaching may consist of a few words and or short phrases. No conversations are permitted. Coaches may not speak to their player when the player leaves the court for any reason. Penalties and fines will still apply for abuse or misuse of the above coaching conditions. So obviously that's where it comes, um, and that's where the article sort of sort of puts out. I read the entire article, and overall, when I first heard this news, I was like, Stefano Sitzboss must be fist pumping in the air. He must be having some several tweets that are definitely cringe inducing but definitely do allude to the ATB on-court coaching rule. And I don't know if those tweets are up. I don't know if he tweeted them out, but that's what I thought when I first heard. I'm like, Stefano Tsitsipas must be basically playing air guitar and, you know, dancing around the house, you know, Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire style when this news dropped. I really do think so. But overall, with my overall thoughts and opinions on this, I tweeted this out, but I do think nobody saw the tweet, but obviously I'll sort of give my opinions on this. I think coaching is good. I I mean, let me backtrack here. Let me sort of go back. I'm on the fence with coaching. I think there are good parts of coaching. I think it does definitely enhance the player experience. If we're able to get an insight and hear their conversation, you know, if the cameras are allowing that to happen, I think that definitely enhances the fan experience. I think that allows people to sort of get a better understanding of the game, to get a better understanding of what the ins and outs of tennis is. And I think if this helps out the fan experience, then that's great. I think that at the end of the day, what really matters is being able to help out the fans and allow them to bridge the gap between, you know, novices and individuals that don't get the sport with people that are obviously in the sport and are helping out top tier tennis players to get a little bit more insight as to who their opponent is and how they can better play against their opponent. So I do think that in that part, it is good to have on-court coaching. However, I do think that there are bad spots to having on-court coaching because tennis is a mental game just as much as a physical game. And I feel like having tennis players get their own audibles in on time and allowing individuals to make their own mistakes but also being able to understand their opponent's mistakes and make the corrective adjustments during tie breaks and during changeovers, I think that is a part of the game. And I think... Tennis, as much as it is a physical game, it is a mental game as well. And I feel like when you step into that tennis court, you know, you're basically stepping into a boxing ring. It's nothing but your own person. You know, you can count on nobody but yourself. You know, I think, you know, being able to go in there, being able to make the correct adjustments and the correct decisions is what allows tennis to be the sport that it is. And while there are good parts to on-court coaching, I feel like it does chip away from the ability for tennis players to learn on their own and to be able to make the correct audibles in their game to win, whether it's that game, whether it's that set, or whether that it's the entire match, to be able to make the correct audibles and to make the correct 
decisions in that game that can change the overall outcome for that match. And I feel like on-court coaching does take away from that. So my overall opinion is I'm on the fence on this. I really am. I, I, there are parts where I sort of understand why coaching is available and why coaching is so supportive amongst, amongst players, obviously Sitzboss included. But I do think it does take away from the ability for players to make their own decisions. And I feel like tennis is such a different sport from any others because you're counting on yourself each and every point you have nobody to but to blame blame but yourself and i feel like when you add quote coaching to it well it's easy for those players to be like see coach i listened to you and i was still able to lose that point and i'll see coach i still listened to you but even if i hit a forehand down the line he still hit a nice drop shot that was able to counteract that and i feel like that just gives certain tennis players an out to blame their coaches instead of blaming themselves and i feel like that's what it sort of boils down to. So I'm on the fence with this. Obviously, there are good parts of coaching, but there are also bad parts of coaching. I'm excited to see what's going to happen, obviously. Like, I do want to see how coaching does affect the match. I feel like we're going to see, we're going to truly see Stefano Sitsabas' game. So that's what I truly am focused on is how how Stefano Sitsabas gets on court coaching. But I'm also interested to see how it affects actual tennis players and we're going to actually see coaching play a real dynamic for tennis matches and i feel like we're going to we're going to see what separates good coaches from the not so good coaches and i feel like just as we're going to see how good tennis players are going to step up to the occasion for these next few months obviously after july 11th that's when the coaching uh effect takes into effect but i do think we're going to see the separation between good coaches and that of say bad coaches Right, because good coaches will allow those players to sort of make the correct adjustments, make the correct decisions to win the match. While there may be bad coaches that we're just riding on the coattails of certain players. So I think these next few months after Wimbledon, I think it will be very, very important to see these coaches be able to either keep their job or surprise people and surprise and go about people's expectations of what is to be expected from coaching. So overall, I'm on the fence on this. I do like coaching in certain situations, but I feel like tennis is a singular sport. I feel like you have nobody to blame but yourself whenever points go your way or not your way. So that is my overall thoughts on the coaching decision made by the ATP. So yeah, I mean, that's what it really boils down to uh, when it comes to the coaching decision. Uh, Because at the end of the day, like I really, really enjoy uh, the idea that Players should focus on their own. You know, I really like that. I really like the idea that you have nobody to blame but yourself. You know, and I feel like when you add coaching to it, I feel like it gives an, an out for these players. It really does. Sorry, I had to burp. But again, still, I, I really, really think that coaching coaching is good. I mean, I mean, let me, let me sort of recalibrate. Let me sort of reiterate my point i think coaching at parts can be good i do i do think it's good you know if it's at a grand slam final i mean i i don't know if i would allow coaching then i I don't i think honestly i wouldn't even allow coaching at a grand slam i think coaching is good for like atp 500 events and atp 1000 events but if it's a grand slam no I, i don't think that would cut it i think if you're at a grand slam you should just focus on your play you know you should not get help from anybody but your own I don't think so. I don't like, I don't like the idea of coaching at in grand slams. I, I really don't like. If I if I was the head of the ATP, I would allow coaching at ATP 500 events, maybe ATP 1000 events. I, I would still have to you know check on that. But for grand slams, I I would not allow coaching at a grand slam. I I don't think so. I I have zero respect and zero tolerance for that. But again, I get it. I understand why the ATP would do that. You know, obviously they want to make it more enticing, more engaging. If if ESPN or Tennis Channel does not allow the fans, and maybe the ATP should allow this. I don't know if they can allow this, but what ESPN has been doing for the MLB is great. Like to hear them, to hear MLB players talk to the ESPN while they're on the field, you know, sort of predicting. Obviously, like there's certain like right fielders and outfielders that ESPN will sort of get an insight on, and they'll wear the headset while they're playing. And 
you know, you'll hear their thoughts on, you know, what's going to happen next, you know, what, what the hitter will do. And sometimes it's beautiful because sometimes they're right. And, you know, a hitter will basically hit a, hit a, you know, a ball right in, into the left center field. And you know, you'll see the left fielder, you know, go get, dig for that ball, try and uh, throw it back to the shortstop, you know, prevent, you know, the now ongoing runner to go to second base. You know, sometimes it could be a good thing. And I feel like if ESPN, if Tennis Channel does that, it would be great. And if they don't allow coaching to happen, or if they don't allow individuals and fans to hear on-court coaching, then I think it's a missed opportunity. Because I think at the end of the day, it's all for the fans, right? You need to allow fans to hear what is going on. You know, like, I don't like the idea that, that you, like, better description for it the better way to sort of handle it i don't know why i included baseball but the ufc right in between rounds you'll hear the coach's corner and you'll hear a a coach talk to a ufc fighter you know if that's what's going to happen i love it i think that's a great thing to do you know so if if espn or tennis channel allows that to happen and if if the atp or any governing body for those four grand slams allows that to happen where fans can hear the coaching for said tennis player I think that's that's going to be beautiful. I think that's going to be a beautiful thing to see. So overall, I I support on-court coaching, but it has to be under the right circumstances, right? I think personally for me, I would allow coaching at ATP, ATP 500 events and maybe ATP 1000 events. I don't, I'm not so sure of it. But if they allow fans to hear coaching while it's a major, I mean, that's beautiful. I'm not going to lie. I almost creamed my pants there. Like, honestly, like, I almost had, like, a dream. Like, yeah, that would be amazing to see if ESPN or Tennis Channel can, like, allow a camera operator to be there, eavesdrop in their conversation while coaching is happening, just like they do in the UFC. I don't know why I included baseball in that. I don't know why I said baseball uh, for that. Uh, but, yes, that is my thoughts. Those are my overall thoughts on the coaching situation. I, for one, think it's good there are parts where it's good but overall i think tennis is a single man sport or single woman sport you know single man single woman sport obviously there are doubles as well but you know obviously single man single woman sport you have nobody to blame but yourself i think coaching does chip away from that i think it does all right let's get into news outside of tennis world obviously i discussed tennis but let's discuss news outside of tennis world so netflix has been releasing a few specials lately comedy specials and this is from their Netflix is a Joke Festival. Obviously, the Netflix is a Joke Festival is now one of the bigger comedy festivals of rivaling that of Just for Laughs. If you guys don't know, Just for Laughs is basically like this once-a-year festival where the industry picks certain comics out to uh, perform in front of huge crowds and huge venues in Montreal. And all, the hopes of it is for somebody to get a development deal and to start pitching shows to networks and whatnot. And that's basically what the festival is for Just for Last. For Netflix is a joke, I think it's quite different. For the Netflix is a joke festival, what they did for this festival is basically have certain shows there and film certain ones that they thought were good. And they decided to release certain Netflix specials because of this. And they decided to release the Pilbert uh, special uh, with his friends, Friends Who Kill. Uh, Pete Davidson special with his own friends, with those, with his own clique of people that he likes and enjoys and admires. So they basically released you know specials from the Netflix is a Joke Festival from Bill Burr and Pete Davidson, and I think they also released like the Hall, which is like the Hall of Fame. This is corny, but now Netflix has a Hall of Fame of stand-up comedians, which makes as much sense as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know why there's a Hall of Fame for stand-up comedy. It is a bottom barrel art form. I mean, I don't even like to call it an art form, but it's a bottom, it's a bottom barrel piece of entertainment. So for them to like legitimize it as like as like a hall of fame, as a valid form of art, I don't think that's I don't think that's ideal. Like I know Robin Williams is a part of it. I know George Carlin is a part of it. Uh, maybe Norm. I'm not so sure about Norm, but that that was the Hall of Fame, and I think they had a Netflix special about it. I didn't watch that one, but I, I did watch the Bill Burr and Pete Davidson specials that were released on Netflix. And my God, I let me, let me just preface this by saying this: I like Bill Burr. I love Bill Burr. He is the main reason why I got into stand-up comedy. I like Pete Davidson. I think Pete Davidson in bits and pieces is funny. Having said all that, the specials were trash. 
Uh, I'm not gonna lie, the Bill Burr Friends Who Kill special was not that great. There were some good parts of it. I mean, Jimmy Carr did, had an okay set. Uh, Jeff Ross, David Tell, I like Jeff Ross and David Tell. They had an okay set as well. But that special was, uh, I, I, I did not like it. I, I, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I, I was not a fan of it. Pete Davidson, Summer Boat. I'm, I mean, Julio Gallerotti, I think that's the, the comedian's name. Uh, he had a pretty good set. But overall, like everybody else, not so much. And the Pete Davidson special. Again, this is like a showcase of comics, so P. Davidson did some time. I liked his jokes. He talked about Kanye West. I discussed it on my podcast channel, so be on the look. Uh, so don't be on the lookout. But I definitely did release my thoughts my thoughts on the uh, P. Davidson uh, stand up piece that he did on Kanye. I gave my overall opinion on it, so go check it on my podcast channel. But P. Davidson in this special had Machine Gun Kelly perform and like some country singer perform, and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I liked Machine Gun Kelly's last album, like not last album, but Tickets to My Downfall. I enjoyed that uh, album. The last album, I don't know what MGK was on, and he performed songs from that uh, from the last album on this special. And during the entire performance, I audibly cringed. I'm not gonna lie. I cringed through the entire thing. Um, so yeah, that's basically that shows the quality of these two specials. Now, before I sort of go scorched earth and go ham on this, I want to say this. I'm not mad at the comics who decided to work with Pete Davidson and Bill Burr to get their comedy out there. I'm not mad at them. You know, I think, you know, make your money. Obviously, you know, it's your career. You know, do what you see fit. You know, if you're performing at Netflix's Joke Festival, if Bill Burr or Pete Davidson says, hey, can you do some time on my show and it might be on Netflix? Hey, Knock your, so- knock your socks off, you know, perform on those shows, make your money. I know as a stand-up comedian, I know, you know, the money in st- the stand-up comedy world is quite fickle. You know, it's it's no, it's not a sure bet to make money during doing stand-up comedy. I get all of that. I understand why these comics did what they have to do, you know, make your money, you know, do whatever you have to do to support yourself and your family. I get all that. My overall gripe with these two specials is with Netflix, Right, not everything needs to be filmed. I think that's the thing that should be taken away from this mishap, right? Because when you see Bilber fans not like a Bilber special, that's concerning, right? Right now, like the Bilber uh, Friends Who Kill special has like a sixteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes by the fans, by like the fan criteria. So that's not ideal for any special. So my role gripe is with Netflix. Not everything needs to be filmed. Not everything at your spe- at your festival needs to be put up on your website. I get it. You know, Netflix is very easy and very cheap to produce. All you need is a point-and-shoot camera, a stool, a mic stand, a microphone, and an audience. And many people think that you can just film a special like that, which is fine. I get that. But that doesn't mean you have to put it out, right? Quality sometimes matters, and not sometimes. I would go out and dare say that quality, more often than not, matters more than quantity, right? Look at HBO right now. HBO is killing it with scripted shows, right? HBO with Succession, with Euphoria, Game of Thrones. I mean, every every Sunday, you know, there will be watch parties for Game of Thrones. There will be bars just dedicated to thinking about what's going to happen with Tyrion Lannister and with what's going to happen at, you know, each and every season and, and what's going to, who's going to be on the throne. And I know that's that sounds quite dorky now that it's all over, but... Still, HBO values scripted content. They value the ability for people to go out there and, and do something that is different, right? And even though there are there are misses with you know HBO specials, and I'm not going to name names, but uh, there are certain specials that do miss. But overall, at the end of the day, they're still being experimental with it. They're still in their heart of hearts thing that it's quality, and they still try and put things out that you know does at the end of the day matter you know something that is that gets feelings out of you that does get people invested in their product so when i see netflix do that it's like do you not understand why your stock price is dropping you know when you put out these specials and and expect people to watch it you have to understand that it has to be of quality and i feel like that's something that hbo does extremely well that netflix should take a page out of 
you know, and when you see the stock prices dropping, when you see concerns with Netflix and how Netflix is implementing ads into their platform, when you see them cracking down on people that share passwords to one account, and when you see Netflix basically turning into cable, you know, I mean, steps like this, you know, ideas and decisions like this lead into that. You know, and I feel like Netflix should really value on putting out quality content. And I wouldn't even say content, just quality programming, just quality pieces of entertainment, because this is not quality. You know, again, is it really quality when you see individuals that were forced to see Bill Burr perform? Is it really quality when you see when you have individuals that have no idea who the comics are on the lineup expect to laugh at comedians who they have no idea who they are? Is it really quality when you put that on your own platform and say this is what is the best of comedy for this festival? Again, this is this is a, this sets an ugly precedent where now like people expect different things from comedy, where now people expect you know comedy to be something that truly isn't, which is trying to be funny. I mean, at the end of the day, comedy is all about trying to be funny, and these two specials were the direct antithesis of that. So overall, I didn't I did not enjoy this. I did not enjoy the specials, but again, it's not Bill Burr, it's not Pete Davidson, it's not the comics on the lineup. I blame Netflix for allowing this to happen. I really do. Like at the end of the day, you should not be having these horrible, horrible specials on your website. Like I'm sorry, you shouldn't. I I love Bill Burr. Bill Burr inspired me to do stand up. I like Pete Davidson. I mean, watching Pete Davidson back in the Geico days, Guy Code, not Geico. I think I said Geico. Geico days during you know his time on SNL when he first started out when I was like a sophomore in high school. I mean, Pete Davidson, you know that first special is quite funny. SMD, I stand by that. That special is quite funny. Uh, so, live from New York, different story. But still, I like Pete Davidson. I love Bill Burr. You know, I'm not mad at the comics that you know decide to do their comedy on their shows on their lineups because at the, at the end of the day, I know stand-up comedy is very fickle. I know that you know the income generated for stand-up comedy is far and few between. I get all of that. What I am really mad at is Netflix for allowing this to happen and for basically sabotaging—not sabotaging, but definitely derailing the careers of Bill Burr and Pete Davidson from from their own fan base. I mean, again, when you see Bill Burr fans going after a Bill Burr special. That ain't good. So again, that's overall my thoughts and opinions on the uh, Netflix situation. It's getting to the point where now YouTube specials are funnier than Netflix. It used to be all Netflix. It used to be like everybody wanted to be on Netflix, you know, and with the emergence of Ali Wong and Nate Bargatze and, you know, Hassan Minaj, Tom Segura, I would, I would include as well, uh, Russell Peters. Um, I know Russell Peters was big on YouTube and then he made the jump to Netflix, but still, you know, Amy Schumer was big on Netflix as well because of, you know, her earlier specials. Don't know why, but, uh, when you see those individuals, you know, break out on Netflix, you know, it used to be Netflix being the epicenter of comedy, but now because of YouTube, because of how Netflix has given notes to comedians, uh, because of the fact that they're very sort of stringent on what can be on their platform, now that they are basically just filming specials all willy-nilly, not really caring about the quality of the stand-up itself, I feel like that's now allowed comedians to put their specials out there and to really get the market to really value what they're putting out. Now, obviously, like YouTube is something that is content creator pushed, so anybody can put a special out there. But I do think that the average special on YouTube whether it's Stavros Halkias' new special, whether it's Joe List, whether it's, I mean, I think Andrew Schultz is releasing his new special on his website, so that may be different, but when you see the Joe List special, when you see that of, say, um, Stavros Halkias' special, and even when you see Nimesh Patel's new special, I like Nimesh Patel's Thank You China, I thought that was a pretty good special. You know, when you see these specials out there, and when you see them generating views and clicks and, you know, likes out the wazoo, um, I think that in and of itself is a good thing. I really do. I think that is a good thing. I feel like that's something that Netflix should sort of value and sort of respond to it by putting out specials that have value, that ha that are funny. You know, and I think that's something that Netflix is lacking as of this moment in time. And I feel like YouTube and to a certain extent, even HBO, I feel like do a better job at doing than say Netflix. Uh, so yeah, overall, that, that is my thought. Those are my overall thoughts on the Netflix situation. 
at the end of the day, like I don't want to see Bill Burr's career go down. Like I don't want to do that. I don't. Want, I like Bill Burr. I love Bill Burr. I, you people are all the same. Inspired me to really pursue stand up, you know, and to really focus on stand up in a different way than what I thought stand up was originally. Like when I first watched stand up before before I watched you people are all the same. I thought, oh, I'm like okay, maybe stand up is just you know Seinfeld, you know, making these you know acute observations on popcorn. Like that's what I thought stand up was. I thought it was either, you know, Seinfeld making acute observations on like popcorn or Frank Frank Caliendo doing John Madden impressions. Like that's all I thought stand-up comedy was before I saw Bill Burr's You People Are the Same. And then once I watched You People Are the Same, like, okay, like maybe stand-up could be different. Maybe it could come from a more instinctual place. Maybe it could come from a more visceral place. And you know, I don't want to see Bill Burr's career go to waste. I don't like I like Bill Burr. You know, obviously this won't, but this definitely doesn't help that. So Overall, that's my thought on the Bill Burr and Pete Davidson specials that were released on Netflix through the Netflix is a Joke Festival. Netflix should just have not even bothered putting it out, in my opinion. I really don't. Just my thoughts. Uh, anyways, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, click the bell icon for no- notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clip channel. Make sure you leave a comment on any of the topics that I discussed below, whether it's uh, the recent Netflix specials, whether it is Novak Djokovic not being able to play for the U.S. Open, on-court coaching, who I think will win Wimbledon. Any of those topics, questions, comments, concerns, leave them down below. I'll do my best to respond to each and every one of them. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at AJ Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end for both my Instagram and my Twitter. And if you're able to rate and review on Apple Music, that'd be great as well. I tried to like look at the Spotify.com website to see if I could write and review like a certain podcast. I don't know if I could do it. Again, I have the free version of Spotify, that, so that might be different. So if you have the premium version, it might be different than what I had to experience. But if you're able to rate and review on uh, Spotify as well, that'd be great. And last but not least, make sure you spread this through WhatsApp, through your text chains. I feel like it's very, very important to spread this through word of mouth to establish a community. I feel like it's very, very important that we're able to do that and you know, be honest and vocal about our opinions on things and whatnot and be funny that's what matters being funny so guys thanks so much for watching thanks so much for listening i'll see you guys on tuesday i'll discuss the esport international final maybe i don't know i don't think so but i'll definitely discuss wimbledon and i'll be definitely be discussing the uh, matches that will be occurring before my podcast should be out so guys thanks so much for watching thanks so much for listening and i'll see you guys on tuesday all right guys peace avoid the bookings and i'll see you on tuesday all right guys peace see y'all